Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Well, there is no joy in Mudville for the Nebraska Cornhuskers this morning. Vanderbilt dominated an opponent and so much more in our Week Zero recap here on the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason with Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. Fellas, we've got a week of college football in the books. It was just a tremendous time that we got to spend all hanging out together, watching college football back in a live format. And I mean, the storyline started from from the, the very outset. But first of all, before we get into all of that, I mean, how good was it to, to sit and watch football together again? Oh, it was amazing. Loved having you two gentlemen over at my place. We got a nice little appetizer for the season. I'm not going to go as far to say that it was, you know, the full deal because next week is when it, the rubber really meets the road but what a great appetizer and even the games that we weren't as excited about you know i'm thinking yukon utah state florida a&m north carolina those were interesting and maybe it was just because football was back maybe on a normal saturday i'm not tuning over to cbs sports network or acc network for those matchups but man when i did i enjoyed my time on them so it was great to be back. It was great to have you guys over. Great to be together. I mean, hey, I was just excited that we got to see anything that was live, right? I You turned on SFA and Jayville, and I was like, let's go. Let's do this. I'm excited. It was just live football. I was just excited to watch it. Number 10, SFA getting taken behind the woodshed by Rich Rodriguez's Jacksonville State. That, that was, was surprising. Did not see that coming. The espionage did not work. If you follow that story, <laughs> Rich Rod was accusing the Lumberjacks of spying on practices, which I guess is maybe a problem at the end. They needed level, to do a little whatever more. Whatever they espionage. were doing, they need to go. Yeah, they need to go learn from the New England Patriots on how it's actually done because <laughs> whatever they were doing did not work in Montgomery. Oh, like what, 42 to 17 or something was yeah. the final there? Good. I think it was only that close because there was a lightning delay in the middle. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Well, uh, we certainly enjoyed our week zero. We were all over it on Instagram, on Twitter. Serves as today's reminder that if you are not already following us on said platforms, please head over and do so. Drop us a follow at 3TechPod uh, on Instagram or the Twitter, we are extremely active all through the week, and then especially on game days. I mean, we want to be able to talk the games with you guys. We have a lot of cool content planned. Um, and then if you are not already following the show, maybe if you uh, waited until week zero got started, college football actually kicked off to dive headfirst into the podcasting realm. Welcome to the show. We would love to have you stay. Uh, please leave a like uh, or subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. We're on all the major platforms. And uh, leave us a rating, too, if you don't mind. Uh, we'd love a five-star rating, but whatever you think is fair, we are trying to grow this family as fast as we possibly can. And, of course, to our return listeners, thank you so much for all the support. The numbers get better each and every episode that we release. But, gentlemen, time for headlines. And, oh, my goodness, the worst-case scenario happened. We start... In Dublin, Nebraska forsaken by the luck of the Irish. We're going to break it down in in its full sicko's glory here in a second in the recaps. But I, I want to know, what would your newspaper headline have been this morning? You wake up in, in Lincoln, maybe you're in Dublin, you've written 
a newspaper article to recap this game. What is that headline for you? Trey, we'll start with you. Scott Squibb sinks season. I love a good alliteration. People say <laughs> sex sells, but sex sells is alliteration. So really alliteration sells. There you um, go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it all comes down to that onside kick, man. It, we'll get into uh, it later, but that, that was the story. Yeah, I'm going with Frost stays cold. This guy is just the definition of not clutch. He, he can't seem to win it when you need him to. I saw a, a, a Twitter meme yesterday of Scott Frost at UCF, and it's a picture of Frosty the Snowman like playing with the children, and then Frost at Nebraska, and it's when he melts at the very end. Just yeah. <laughs> I, I felt bad for him. Uh, mine would be oh, Northwestern's man. Lucky Charm, and uh, the the head picture, the still shot, is probably a picture of that ill-fated onside kick, which we're going to get into. I don't know that that was what lost Nebraska the game, but it certainly didn't help. And it's what's grabbed all the headlines here on a Sunday and into the early part of the week. Uh, elsewhere around college football, uh, guys, Vanderbilt tops the SEC East power rankings heading into week one. And I've noted in, in our run sheet, this is the point of the show where I will absolutely be accepting apologies from both of you guys. I locked up Vandy as my lock of the week. You guys besmirched the good name of Clark Lee, of what is clearly the most talented offense, uh, that side of the Mississippi. 63-10, to 10. guys. Hawaii got blasted at home. Please, uh, just the, the floor is yours. So that wasn't particularly close. Um, I, I'm going to start with an apology to all members of Nashville that still care about your football program. I have a feeling that you could be adding to your numbers after a performance like that. Look, I was disrespectful in the previews. Y'all didn't give me anything to root for. But man, what a difference a year makes going from losing to a nobody, not even on the same level as you, to smoke in Hawaii. Maybe they're not the same level as you, but I don't think anybody saw that performance coming from them. But got to give the hats off when it's uh, when it's time. So yeah, hats off to Vanderbilt. Yeah, Vandy, absolutely. My apologies. My um, sincerest regards to your football program because I was wrong and you know if you are going to be interesting this year and if you're going to make that sec race even the slightest bit more interesting by knocking off a couple teams that we put ahead of you in the pecking order welcome to the party man we, we are so excited to have you be relevant hopefully even as we get into conference play oh well, that's that's really big of you guys i'm i'm really <laughs> really glad that you decided to be the bigger man here uh that vandy Two and a half over under bet, the under in some serious jeopardy as we enter week one of the regular season. That was that was so much fun to watch, not necessarily because the game was, you know, extra entertaining. It, I mean, obviously it turned into a bloodbath, but, you know, Hawaii jumps on them early. That's exactly what happened last year when East Tennessee State kind of punched back and then just left Vandy in the dust. So it was good to see Clark Lee and the boys rally. Uh, we'll recap that uh, in just a couple of minutes. Michigan's head-scratching quarterback decision. Guys, have you ever seen what Jim Harbaugh did yesterday for context, announcing that Cade McNamara will start the opener against uh, who, do, who do they have coming to town uh, week one? Somebody very, very easy. J.J. McCarthy will start week two against Hawaii, also at home. Just the most, and it was like in a in a statement, as if it, there was like some sort of news release going on. It was just the weirdest possible announcement for Michigan. Yeah, week one is Colorado State. Just pulled that up real quick, but I've never seen anything like this, and especially making this big of a deal to the media about it with a scripted press release, a big graphic on social media. Obviously, the timing of it was probably orchestrated to be talked about on the halftime shows of these week zero games where there's a lot of eyeballs. So I, I just don't know what's going on. Maybe we can get Teddy back on for a special show to shed some light on what this decision means, but I, yeah, I'm at a loss for words. Yeah. We might have to go to our uh, Michigan super fan for that one. I mean, look, this feels to me, like one of the most confusing things we've seen going into a season with regards to a quarterback thing. Like it almost feels like you're about to see like a press release that says, and unconfirmed sources say that they're going to have a rock, paper, scissors before game three to see who ends up starting it. If you can't make a decision, 
like you've had these guys for fall camp. What's two basically scrimmages against worst teams really going to show you? I mean, I get that it's live action. It's another team, but I, I don't know if you can't make up your mind at this point, what are you doing? Especially when they both played last year. And yeah, one of them led good. you to the college football playoff for the first time. It's, I, I just have no idea what's going on. I thought it was a joke at first. And I was yeah. scrolling through Twitter while watching one of the games on Saturday afternoon. And I saw, I think, Pro Football Focus's college-focused account reported it. But they accidentally tagged a Michigan parody account. Like oh, one no. of those accounts that's you know spoofing the official football page of Michigan. And I was like, oh, this is a joke. You know, no one would ever do this. And then I see everyone reporting it and it's just like, wow, this is actually happening. So, you know, Jim Harbaugh, I guess, feels like he's bought a lot of goodwill to do something like this after a playoff run. But man, you just every time it feels like Michigan has their feet under them and is doing things right, they go and pull something like this and totally redeem themselves of what we thought they were <laughs> yeah did not have harbaugh cashing in all of that that goodwill and grace before the season's even started but here we are i mean look jj mccarthy's the future at quarterback he's got the higher ceiling but like you said trade Cade mcnamara led you to a playoff last year the first in program history so you know i understand having packages for mccarthy but i i truly don't understand if if mcnamara is in any way comparable to what McCarthy's going to bring to you, where McCarthy doesn't just win the job outright. What are you doing? Just continue to play things as you did last season. It obviously worked. You beat Ohio State. Didn't work against Georgia, but still, you, you make program history. This just feels like another unnecessary hoop that the Michigan football program continues to jump through with Jim Harbaugh at the helm. Well, and especially with so much new coming back, and they have some returning pieces, obviously, more on their offense, but they have a lot of new faces. You want leadership on the field when you can get it. And a guy that's been there, a guy that's, you know, been in the playoff, unless JJ just came up and won the job outright, you know, just flat out outplayed him, showed that he was a much better player. You know, I don't see how you can go away from the guy who just got you there and not leave that leadership experience, leave that extra something that you have from a guy who's seen it before. I, I just don't get the move. Hopefully they end up with the right guy. I'm not saying, you know, the sky's falling or anything like that. Both guys can play. I just hope they end up with the right guy so we see a good competitive Michigan this year. Elsewhere around college football, other quarterback battles that did go final. It's a return of the king for Texas A&M. They go with Haynes King at quarterback. Auburn selects TJ Finley. It certainly felt like in College Station, things were trending towards Haynes King. I know internally we had discussed that he was going to be our preference, our pick, because of the speed, the versatility that he brings with his legs. It certainly feels like there's a higher ceiling with Haynes, maybe a lower floor than what you would get with Max Johnson. Um, and, and then with TJ Finley, look, that quarterback room, it's got some talented names, but it, it's felt like the performance has maybe lacked a little bit. Was Zach Calzada now the third-string quarterback there? Uh, do you guys have thoughts, feelings, leanings on either of these quarterback decisions? As far as A&M goes, King is the right call to me. I really... The, the floor and ceiling situation is just so apparent when it comes to King versus Johnson. That quarterback room is night and day different than this time last year. You had Haynes King, Zach Calzada, and that was it last year. You had Eli Stowers, who had moved to tight end because of a shoulder injury. But as far as scholarship guys go, it was Haynes King and Zach Calzada, and you saw what happened when King goes down with an injury. Start with the higher ceiling guy. Maybe the highest ceiling guy on campus at AM is Connor Wegman. But he, you know, as a freshman is probably not ready for big time action yet. So go with your highest ceiling that's ready and you know what you have in Max Johnson. And if things don't go well with King, if he struggles with turnovers, if he just can't get it done, then you know what you have. You have a very capable guy backing him up that's going to lead you to wins in the SEC. Yeah. And I mean, the thing about King, too, is you want speed on the field when you have it, you know, unless the guy just can't play, unless he's not physical enough to play at the college level. If you've got a guy who can run as fast as he can, I think he runs what, like a four, four, like if you can run that quick, you need to be on the field. 
And now you're starting to see, you know, obviously A-Chain coming back at running back. They've got Evan Stewart that's going to be there as a freshman. He's going to provide some speed. Throw Haynes in there. You've got three guys who are faster than pretty much any of your starters from last year. So there's certainly some speed there. I mean, with regards to Auburn, though, I mean, Finley uh, obviously seems like the right call. He's been there a little bit more. Seems like he knows what he's doing in the offense. And I think they're going more of the safe route. Um, but man, there really are some concerns that they brought guys in and none of them really took the job or gave them more of a boost. You know, you don't want to start to scream that the sky is falling before the season starts, but, uh, man, it doesn't look like things are starting in the right direction for Auburn, at least as the season gets underway. Final headline is a reminder to play the spread option. We are now into week one. Week zero was a resounding success, although maybe not for the three of us. In fact, when I was tabulating the results, uh, Trey Garrett and I both, uh, or all three of us went, uh, two for five in our picks against the spread. So, you know, slow start out of the gate for the boys. That's okay. That's a hall of famer in the MLB, Mitch. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it, it was not a slow start out of the gates for our friend and loyal listener, Matt at Mac underscore Texan on Twitter. I promise shout out. If you do win a particular week. You get shouted out on the pod, and Matt won in week zero. He got four out of five correct. Now, going forward, it's going to be a full slate of games, so 10 games against the spread that you have to pick. Um, if you were uh, you know, one of the, the people that played in week zero, we'll email it directly to you. If not, head over to Twitter or Instagram, again, at 3TechPod, and you will see the link for that pick em up each and every week. So really excited to keep going. Tell you what, guys, we got to make a little little bit of ground up here in week one. I, I think there's some good games uh, on this schedule. We'll preview all of that on Thursday morning's episode before a couple of early games in week one. Uh, but before we get to all of that, the focus of this episode, of course, is the recaps. And gentlemen, it is time to talk about the, I don't even know how to describe it. It was a series of unfortunate events for Nebraska. It was luck of the Irish. It was ground and pound for Northwestern, the featured game of the week. Everyone was talking about it. As many eyeballs in the United States as could possibly be directed towards their TVs at 11.30 a.m. yesterday morning were Northwestern 31, Nebraska 28. Um, This felt like same song, different verse, with a bad second half for Nebraska, untimely turnovers, just bad coaching decisions. I mean, of course, we let off the show talking about the ill-fated onside kick. Nebraska at that time in the third quarter is up 11. They've scored 14 unanswered, and they have all of the momentum. And then Scott Frost just shoots himself in the foot. He he claimed responsibility for this onside kick. Northwestern recovers it. They score a touchdown that drive, and the rest is history. I, I'll kick it to you guys. As we were watching that game, what were the things that that stood out to you about Nebraska, about Northwestern, what did you see on the field that kind of left left you, you know, thinking about it multiple hours after the game? Nebraska was the way more talented team on the field and on paper. I don't know how many times I commented while we were watching this game together, man, Northwestern just looks a step slower than mm-hmm. Nebraska. Northwestern, their skill guys just look like they're getting to the spot a fraction of a second later than the Nebraska guys. And it's in the middle of the third quarter. It looked like that was going to play out to a victory for Nebraska. It looked like everything was going to, you know, work out for them. You mentioned they're up by 11 after trailing by three at halftime, 14 unanswered out of the gate in the third quarter. And then everything changed with that onside kick. It, it just completely shifted the momentum. It completely just deflated that Nebraska sideline and the rest was history. It was a typical Nebraska game that we saw all year last year. Everything's looking okay. They're competing at the very least. They're keeping the game close, even leading. And then something happens, a switch flips, and it all just falls apart. The bottom falls out for the Cornhuskers. So same song, second verse, it looks like. Same song, fifth verse for the Scott Frost era in, uh, in Lincoln, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But you hate to see that for the guy who obviously loves that school, obviously wants to succeed, obviously just has a lot of tendencies that you want in a head coach, but it's it's just not working. Yeah, Northwestern did look slower, but I got to say, they were miles more physical up front. 
Like it, if you look at some of the the field view shots that they took from that game, you could see massive holes that these guys are running through. I mean, Evan Hull, Cam Porter, they combined for almost 220 rushing. That's crazy. And that didn't happen because they were just out athleting the other guys. Uh, we talked a lot of times. Yeah, you get a guy out, you know, on a swing type of thing. And he's trying to hit the corner. He just couldn't get there before the other guys did. But anytime they went between the tackles, it was downhill. They could pick up four, five, six yards. It felt like any time they wanted to. Um, and then it just kind of took Holinsky a second to settle in. He was pretty good through the game with his completion percentage, but needed to start to throw it down the field a little bit more, needed to be a little more clutch converting some of those spots, and seemed like they settled that in a little bit. So while it certainly is Nebraska had this game, you got to give credit to Northwestern for taking it back when they were down 11. This this was as much Frost making a dumb decision as it was Northwestern just hanging in there and being resilient. We talked about on Thursday how this was really Nebraska playing Nebraska. And yes, Northwestern came out and took that game. But Nebraska handed it to them. You know, like there were several points in the first half where it's like, you know, if we slam on the gas, it's over. That third quarter, if we slam on the gas, it's over. All the momentum was with Nebraska, multiple points in that game. Most of those big runs that you're talking about, Garrett, all after the onside kick. Mm-hmm. That, that Nebraska defense was just deflated after that. You give them the short field. They punch it in, I think, three plays later, all of them going to uh, Evan Hole. And the rest was history. It, 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 was, it was just astounding to watch, just the whole demeanor of that team change and the effort just completely go away from the defensive line to the receivers in their catching and blocking ability. Neither team really was able to run very well in the first half. It was a lot of yeah. three-yard carries. We were kind of laughing at Holinsky targeting guys five yards behind the sticks a lot of yeah. times on third and long, and everything changed once once Nebraska gave Northwestern an opening. That momentum swing, no doubt, was was extremely noticeable. Um, and, and you know. It, it started, Northwestern was in that game at the half. Northwestern led. Northwestern was leading, yeah. At the half, right? You know, so you, you have that that famous graphic that it immediately went viral. Scott Frost at the time, 3-20 and 20 when trailing at the half. Obviously now 3-21. and 21. It, But, you know, Casey Thompson had a good first half. I, I thought we were relatively impressed with how well he was throwing the football. Not, not a tremendously accurate passer, especially not when he threw it down the field. And that's been kind of the MO is, you know, the farther the ball gets pushed down the field, maybe some of the worst results start to rise to the surface. And, and I thought you saw that specifically in the second half, right, where just nothing went right offensively for Nebraska. They couldn't get the running game going. They have to now take some desperation heaves, you know, late late behind the chains. And, and ultimately, it was a tale of two halves for Casey Thompson. Now he finishes 25 of 42, 355 yards, a touchdown and two interceptions. One of those picks, the the game ceiling interception, mm-hmm. not totally his fault. I, I think his wide receiver should have come up with that, but still on a mesh concept, throwing it behind your receivers, just yeah. not, not a recipe for success. Um, I, I have to place blame on this loss. And I know Scott Frost immediately threw his new coaching staff under the bus. I mean, Mark Whipple is catching strays out here from mm-hmm. the past administration, his current administration. I mean, Scott Frost immediately takes the podium, says he's disappointed in the play calling. We need to find you know more ways to be creative. It's Big Ten football. Creativity doesn't, doesn't win football games in that conference. It's execution. It's fundamentals. It's not turning the football over. And, you know, it just felt like Frost, did he look just beyond checked out at the podium to you guys when he spoke to the media? I mean, he looked like he would have rather been anywhere else in the world than having to talk to media. He looked like a guy who was just told that he didn't have a job as a coach anymore and he was a dead man walking. That's what he looked like. I mean, just frankly, he he didn't look like he was interested anymore. He kind of looked like he was like, yeah, maybe this, maybe that. And he was just trying to save some face. Look, Which, to be clear, he still has his job, has not officially Yeah, no, he pulled. hasn't been fired. It's just, I think it's and one of those. he won't be for a little bit. Yeah. yeah, he's got plenty of buyout. So, um, but when you look at it, it comes down, like you were saying, execution. Casey Thompson, he throws two picks. He was missing guys on crossing routes. I think he had like 17 incompletions to 25 complete. Like that's, 
those are numbers that if you can't better your completion percentage, you know, the yards were there. He had 355 yards. He looked fine, but, you know, he missed passes when it mattered, right? He missed passes to convert on third downs. He missed passes to keep them in the game. And at the end of the day, more of the blame, I think, falls on the defense. The fact that you couldn't fill gaps and stop the run was the entire game right there. Helensky wasn't exactly lighting the world up. He, he played better as the game went on. But the fact of the matter is you had two guys that rushed for 220 on you. Like You have to be better in your gaps. You have to be better and more physical. And this just didn't look like a team that was ready to deal with that on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, uh, right there with you. I just, I, I'm just, I tweeted this out. I, I, I have no idea if I should say this is par for the course or that I'm surprised that this happened because it was, you know, they, they invent new ways to lose in Lincoln. Yeah. This was a new one. And at the same time, it was the exact same thing that we saw all last year. A couple of stats from this game that are really. I mean, just kicking Cornhusker fans while they're down. Northwestern gained over 500 yards in a game for the first time, I believe, since 2018 was when I could find a previous game. That's been a while. Last, So they scored 31 in this game. Last season, they failed to score even 17 points, what they had at the half, in seven separate games wow. in 2021. I mean, this was a Northwestern offense that was non-existent a season ago. Ryan Helinski had no clue what he was doing at quarterback. And, you know, while this is certainly a testament to, I think, how much Northwestern improves, again, as we, we talked about in the preview, it's an even year, folks. This is when Northwestern just seems to come out of the woodwork yep. and play good football. Um, this via Reddit college football, quote, after yesterday's loss, Scott Frost is now 15-30. and 30. Bo Pelini was fired after going 67-27. and 27. If Frost wins his next 50 games in a row, he would still have a worse record at Nebraska. It would be 65 and 30 than Bo did when he was fired. End quote. I, I, don't, I don't know how else to paint the desperation that this football program is, is in. It's, it's a, as bleak a scene as it could possibly be. Yeah. And again, to that point, we talked about this a little bit off the front, but to put it in perspective, 50 games in a row would be three straight undefeated 15-0 national championship seasons and then winning like five more. Yeah. Un unreal. Um, you know, we, we talked about Casey Thompson. I, I thought a couple of his receivers had really good games. Isaiah Garcia Castaneda, who Trey uh, termed as IGC, just refusing to say that full name. And boy, that's a mouthful for a broadcaster. Four catches, 120 yards, and a touchdown. Trey Palmer, the LSU uh, transfer, eight catches for 68 yards, and it could have been even better. Casey Thompson missed him two separate times when he had gotten past the Northwestern defense, Mm -hmm. behind the safety. All you have to do is hit your receiver in stride, and it's a touchdown, and he missed him a couple of times. Palmer dropped a couple of balls as well. On the other side for the Wildcats, Garrett, you mentioned the, the running game. Evan Hull, 22 carries for 119 yards and a touchdown. Cam Porter, also 19 carries for 94 yards and a touchdown. Malik Washington nearly had 100 uh, yards receiving. So final question to you guys before we move on here. How do we feel about Northwestern now? I mean, it, it seems like Nebraska, look, we can hash the, the question marks around that program all day long, right? And they play North Dakota this next week. They should get a home win should get to at least feeling okay about themselves as they've got to go on a run to save Scott Frost's job. But I'm more interested in how we feel about Northwestern. We were all so down on them coming into the season in the previews. It seems like that offense might have a little giddy-up behind it. Yeah, no, I did the preview for them, and my big concern when I was doing the preview just had to do with the fact that they didn't have a lot of weapons coming back and a lot of production coming back, and they were going to have to prove what they had. They were going to be physical on the offensive line. They got maybe the best left tackle in football right now, uh, but they just had to figure out what were they going to bring back, and it seems like Cam Porter's really picking it up, and you know, I, I'm really wanting to see more of him. He looked pretty explosive at times. It looked like he would go firing out of the backfield, just blasting through some of those holes, so... I'm really curious to see what he can do combined with Evan Hull, who just seems like such a staple for that offense. Um, If they can't run the ball, I wonder if they'll be able to be as efficient passing, right? It seemed like they were really committed to having a balanced offense, 
being physical, setting up some play action, and then getting guys open. I'm wondering if that works, you know, if you have, you know, let's say a more physical team up front, like a Wisconsin later in the year, if they're going to be able to to continue to pass with that much efficiency, if Wisconsin can go plug those gaps and be physical. Yeah, I don't forget about Ryan Holinsky, though. He really, really impressed me yesterday. Mm-hmm. And that quarterback room was just an absolute carousel last year for Northwestern. They had four guys get significant playing time, including Holinsky. But man, did he look good yesterday. He was making throws. I know we joked about him throwing behind the sticks a lot on third and long, but as that game went on, he just got more and more confident finding those open receivers, finding Malik Washington a lot, just finding a go-to guy. And yeah, they fed the running backs and that definitely set up a lot of good play action plays, but he made a lot of good decisions, 27 to 38, over eight yards per attempt, and didn't turn the ball over. That's winning football in the Big Ten West, and that is going to win you a lot of games in that division. Nebraska probably needs to win five of their next six. If Scott Frost is to save his job, his buyout drops on October the 1st from $15 million to $7.5 million. That's kind of the X date that uh, Trey and Garrett have been alluding to. It certainly seems like he's at this point a dead man walking until that date. Um, but we'll see. Uh, a lot of a lot of things can change, especially if somehow Nebraska finds a way to beat an Oklahoma team that we also have questions about. So yeah, uh, keep- I was going to say if he can win that Oklahoma game in a couple weeks, that goodwill is instantly back, and everybody's willing to give him a chance again. Then he has to follow that up with consistency, though. It can't just be a one-off week where you beat Oklahoma and then lose to Indiana after a bye. So yeah, no. If if he beats Oklahoma and then they still go three and nine, nah, it ain't gonna work. He ain't gonna keep his job. Elsewhere in the Midwest, Illinois all over Wyoming, thirty-eight to six. Tell you what, guys, old Bert might be building something there in Champaign. The offense for the Illini was really efficient. It looked, it was fun to watch, which I, I don't know that I've ever said that about Illinois, at least not since Juice was back there quarterbacking in the early 2000s. Um, Chase Brown, he's that dude. I'm telling you what, I, I talked about him in the season preview, 19 carries, 151 yards yesterday, two touchdowns. He had over 100 yards by the half when Illinois really got to kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit. Tommy DeVito, uh, Syracuse transfer over, nice intro, just 194 yards, but he was fairly efficient throwing the football, two touchdowns, very balanced passing attack, uh, which is what I needed to see from Illinois to believe that they can make a little bit of noise on that side of the division in the Big Ten. I'm not saying that they're going to end up in in Indianapolis by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I do think against a, a Wyoming defense that has more pieces on defense than they do offense I felt like they were efficient they had some early penalties they cleaned that up in the second half for poor Wyoming and I don't know how much of this game y'all watch Wyoming couldn't move the ball at one point Andrew Peasley the uh, Utah State transfer was one of six I believe for five yards and they hadn't converted a third down well into the third or into the second quarter he finishes five of 20 for 30 yards and a pick so Wyoming, you know, and we talked about this, right? Garrett kind of alluded to it. They have nobody that came back. They lost an army to the transfer portal and just don't have any skill position players that they can really rely on. For me, I think it's worth watching to see how Illinois continues to build. They've got a big game against Indiana next week. They got off to a strong start last year. They beat Nebraska, then they lose a close game to UTSA. Really, for me, year two of Bielema, what what does he do? How does he continue to march this Illinois program forward towards those those best days that he had at Wisconsin? It looked like a textbook Bielema offense where they were going to grind it out. They were going to do just enough through the air, but they they got it done. And Wyoming is obviously not the best um, test right out of the gate, but I was really impressed with the physicality. I was really impressed with obviously they're doing what Bielema wants them to do, which is not play a pretty or sexy style of football, but play a style of football that gets it done, controls the clock. And you look up and they score 38 points by the end of the day and just grinding it out and manufacturing that offense. 
Next three games are more than winnable at Indiana, Virginia at home, and then Chattanooga at home before they go to Madison to take on the Badgers. I'm excited to see what they can do in that. If they're two and one or maybe even three and oh, that sets up a really interesting game against the Badgers. Yeah, they're going to have to keep being physical. You can consider me, I guess, on the fence for whether or not I believe in this Illinois attack. Look, Wyoming just had so much to figure out with as many guys as they had lost and the fact that they're already coming in outmatched at a talent level, just at a base talent level, they're outmatched. Um, But I mean, hats off to what they did. They did a good job. I just need to see more from them. I think this Indiana game they have coming up is going to be a pretty big one for them to try to reestablish that, keep that going um, and, and just prove to themselves that they can do it against better competition as well. I believe, and I'm looking this up real fast. I believe the, yeah, the majority of our week zero pick'em audience was on the Cowboys at plus 10. That was a disappointing afternoon fiesta for uh, any of you that backed the Cowboys. I, you know, I, I know I picked Illinois to, to cover that spread. I did not think it would be by this much. Uh, that was a entirely uncompetitive game. I think Certainly I had more explosion. Yeah. I had more questions about what Illinois would be rather than what Wyoming wasn't going into that game. And I know we talked about it on the week zero preview. Like, did we really trust Illinois to kind of run away and hide offensively? And, you know, the answer at the time was no. I think as DeVito and Chase Brown showed you, they they might have a little bit of giddy up. They have got some transfers, a kid uh, in from Miami at wide receiver who, who's really talented. So watch the space. Watch for the fighting Illini. We'll see what they continue to build early doors uh, on this season. But I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what, what they can do. One more stat on just the Illinois defense. Also really impressive. Just wanted to give them a shout out real quick. They allowed a drive of more than five plays just two times in the entire game. And they both resulted in field goal attempts. So um, can't remember if Wyoming got to the red zone or not. I think they did get into uh, down almost to the goal line one time on one of those field goal attempts, but just a dominant effort from the line defense as well. And and to your point, keeping their offense or putting their offense back on the field. Wyoming, I believe started O of 10 on third downs. I mean, the Cowboys just could not convert to move the chain. So uh, yeah, excited to see what the Illini bring guys. Let's go to the Island. And I don't know how late y'all stayed up to watch this. I, I, I gave this a valiant effort. Um, first of all, my notes would like to remind everyone that I locked Vandy up. So ka-ching Vandy 63, Hawaii 10, Slow start for the Commodores offensively. Hawaii jumps out. Braden Schrager, who's a kid that we're familiar with from Dallas, went to Highland Park, quarterbacking for the Rainbow Warriors. And Hawaii came out up-tempo, had all the vibes that they brought away from from the the pregame festivities, and they put it on the doors early. 7-0 Hawaii. You know, I know that that we were kind of joking around in our group text that, oh boy, here we go again. And then Vandy responded and never looked back from what you guys saw from Vandy what impressed you the most was it Mike White or right excuse me was it the defense what'd you like so when I when I was talking about this in the preview I said that for Vanderbilt they're gonna have to have nothing go wrong or it was all gonna go downhill I could not have been more wrong on that one great job with whatever the culture has changed into in that locker room. I still don't think that they're going to be particularly competitive in the SEC, no. but they could they could make a little bit of noise, push a couple of teams, maybe possibly pay, like play spoiler at some point. They looked pretty good. I was more impressed with their ability to kind of run, keep things going on the ground more than I was in the past game. Not to say that Mike Wright didn't have a good game, but I was more impressed with what they were able to do physically on the ground and man, that defense actually looked pretty good. That like they looked like they had some guys that stepped in and were ready to actually make some plays. I was impressed overall with the effort. And I mean, they exploded for points, but let's not forget they only let up ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mitch is strutting now, but he was not confident in the first quarter. Just want to absolutely not. Absolutely, see our Twitter thread. After that first quarter, man, it was it was all Commodores and just hats off to them. There's not much else to say. They they looked really good. Hawaii might be in for a really long season um, if they're losing by 53 to Vanderbilt at home on opening weekend. But with, without all that being said, Vandy 
is in the business of these being close games at best the past mm-hmm. two or three years. And so for them to just come out and make a statement, that fan base has to feel amazing waking up this morning after watching their team perform that well. Mike Wright certainly kind of solidified his role as the starting quarterback. In fact, Ken Seals didn't actually get into this ball game. Their third string quarterback, for whatever reason, uh, took a couple of snaps late in that game. But Mike Wright, you know, looked looked solid through the air. That's not going to be Vandy's strength. He threw for 146 yards, two touchdowns. But on the ground, the kid has wheels. Um, you know, had a I believe it's like an 80 yard touchdown run at one point. 163 yards on the ground for Wright. Two more rushing touchdowns. And Garrett, yeah, you're right. It's only Hawaii, but that defense, they flew around to the football. They looked extremely physical. Uh, you know, I put in our group text, like, my goodness, these these Vandy defenders are hitting hard tonight. And, and they gave Hawaii all they wanted up front. Uh, that defensive pass rush got after uh, Schrager and made him uncomfortable. A couple of, of funny stats for Vandy. So, you know, if you're, if you're trying to remember when the last time it was that, that Vandy scored 60-plus, well, it was a while ago. 1969 was the last time that Vandy scored uh, more than 63 points. They did it against Davidson when a certain former national championship coach was a freshman running back there. Do you guys have any guesses who, which current national championship coach was their running back? Wasn't it Mac Brown? Was. Mac Brown was on the team. So it's been, it's been a minute. Been a while. Uh, Take away there. They also had not put up 60 plus against an FBS team since before we entered into World War II as a country. They beat Louisville 68 nothing in 1941. So Vandy fans rejoice. Maybe I hope you DVR'd that and that you might need to replay that game just multiple times when things inevitably get rough this season. Hang on to this week zero win. We are truly living in unprecedented times for <laughs> Vanderbilt football. Multiple generations born since the last time Anchor Down did anything offensively like that. Man, good for them. Yeah, we're getting some content for the SEC Network takeover next summer. They'll have uh, oh yeah something to show um, right. on the first part of that. Right, all all of the highlights are going to be that low camera angle from from the island. Uh, oh. No doubt about it. We'll see what Vandy can do. I'm I'm impressed that their offense showed some life when, as you guys you know multiple times pointed out last last week, they just did not do that against anybody a season anyway, ago. Yeah. So ho- hopefully the the aircraft carrier turning around for Clark Lee. And, uh, you know, as he, as he predicted, Vanderbilt might be well on the way to becoming the best team in college football. UNT 31, UTEP 13. Guys, this did not go the way that I predicted at all. My apology of the week is to, to mean green fans. I just apologize for clearly sleeping on an explosive offense, a very physical defense. Austin Ani, the quarterback, had a fantastic game, 236 through the air, three touchdowns. UNT defense pitched a shutout in the second half. I mean, guys, like I came in to this singing the praises of what UTEP was going to bring defensively, and it was the exact opposite. UTEP just could not get off the field, couldn't convert offensively. They couldn't take advantage of some great opportunities that we can get into there, especially in the first half. But UTEP just looked uh, a day late and a dollar short. Yeah, I was really, really impressed with North Texas effort coming into you don't usually see a lot of hostile environments in conference USA play and the Sun Bowl was almost sold out that was a crowd that was ready to go and engaged in the game early and in the second half they just completely took that crowd out of it and part of that was UTEP not capitalizing on some of those opportunities in the first half they you know have a fourth and one on the goal line where they fumbled the snap they recovered a fumble right before the half and that really could have changed the game if they could have punched in a touchdown but they had to settle for a field goal but man that could have been a completely different game if the miners were able to capitalize capitalize on those opportunities but credit to UNT for standing tall and not allowing them to find the end zone um, other than one time so the second half was an amazing effort by the mean green defense and they sent that amazing crowd at UTEP home very unhappy. 
Yeah, and there were times when UTEP's offense looked explosive. I had written down Tyron Smith looked borderline uncoverable at times, right? There were times I thought that he was just going to be the player of the game. We were going to watch, you know, like crazy video game numbers for him by the time this whole thing was done. But UNT just got physical. They out-physicaled UTEP on both sides of the ball. They got really physical on the defensive side, caused problems, got in people's faces, and I think kind of rattled the quarterback. And on the offensive side, they opened up some massive holes to run through all night long. Um, th- those running backs took advantage. It felt like you know every other play I was looking at a, at a run where he bust through the line of scrimmage and was making guys miss in the secondary. Th- there was also some big tackling issues on the minor defense. There would be times when – They'd get a guy in the open field and he would either, you know, shimmy a little bit to cause an arm tackle or just straight up run through a guy who wasn't ready to be physical in that way. So um, I I just kind of I was looking at this game. I wasn't expecting it to be this big of a gap, but I mean, Ani came out, had a great game and, and did things to help them win. But it was really to me down to how physical they got on both sides. I think Trey, you're, you're spot on with, this could have been a completely different ball game. And I mean, it, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's easy to say this from a podcaster's chair, but truly that crowd was into it in the first half. And and if they punch it in on that fourth and one, when, when Dimel decides to go for it, instead of fumbling the snap and then, you know, throwing it out the back of the end zone, essentially my X factor for that game was UNT had won the momentum back. They had, had gotten UTEP off the field late in the first half. They had a chance with, you know, a minute left essentially to drive down the field and see if they could put up points. And then Ani drops the the exchange on a read option and UTEP gets mm-hmm. the ball inside the North Texas 25 with 36 seconds left. If, if UTEP punches that in for a touchdown, you take all the momentum in the locker room, you take all of the energy and that vibe that the crowd brought in with you. And then who knows what happens in that second half. Instead, it's a three and out and a field goal for UTEP, where basically all three of those plays looked incredibly dysfunctional, it was a flat way to to kind of end what could have been a first half, I think described by what could have been, right? And, and then as, as the box score shows, UNT just came and punched them in the mouth in, in the second half, and UTEP never finds the end zone again. Praise Awumawale, the defensive end, the edge player that I was singing his praises in the preview, one tackle was an absolute non-factor for this game for the Miners. So, you know, for me, the takeaway here, I was extremely high on UTEP coming into this season. I had them as 8-4, and 9-3 and three territory, maybe a, a dark horse contender for Conference USA. Now I'm starting to wonder, okay, do you get six, seven wins this season if you, you know, if, if that's the norm, if, if you're not going to improve? And, of course, it's a Week 0 game. It's totally unfair to project the rest of the season based off one showing. But I I think I'm potentially a little bit too high on UTEP and potentially I was a little bit too low on UNT. Well, if UTEP wants to turn it around, they're going to have to find a way to gain yardage outside of the big play. They have to find a way to gain yardage outside the big play. They were getting some big chunks, but it felt like the offense stalled multiple times and it felt like there were a lot of possibilities for them to kind of continue a drive if they could have just found those short yarded situations when they did. So if they're going to improve, they have to be better offensively. UTEP's got to do some soul searching. They've got Oklahoma next week, rivalry game against New Mexico state the week after that, they've got Boise in a couple weeks. They can still be a force in conference USA, I think, but Got to figure some stuff out. Got to figure out how to finish drives well. And then on the flip side, I'm really excited to see what Austin Ani can do for UNT the rest of this year. Maybe they're the team that can be a dark horse contender in Conference USA. Guy that's 29 years old, graduated high school before any of us did. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) yeah, maybe he can provide that veteran leadership and uh, lead the Mean Green on a little bit of a run, similar to what UTEP did last year. I'll tell you what, we might have to find our way up to Apogee a couple times this year. They're going to be a fun team to watch. Yeah, fun game against SMU next week mm-hmm. to have a home opener and then lots of opportunities for big wins in Conference USA play. Yeah, Ani bringing big-time Brandon Whedon vibes after spending six years in the minor mm-hmm. leagues with the New York Yankees. So shout-out to dual, dual threat Austin Ani. And he still has a year of eligibility left next year if he wants it. He is only a junior. 
That's amazing. He could be a 30-year-old starting for the Mean Green or another team if they pick him up in the portal next year. Yeah, and, you know, uh, this is his second stop, uh, and the college football ranks was was on Arkansas's quarterback depth chart at one point, which I didn't actually know. All right, well, a couple other games of note, and we can just ping-pong in and out of these. Trey, I'll let you have dealer's choice here. Where, what game out of the, the smattering that we have on the run sheet would, do you want to take us to next? I'll do Utah State and UConn. Just want to give a shout out to the Huskies. I obviously disparaged Jim Mora in our second ever episode and just saying, what are we doing hiring this retread? But the Huskies actually looked really good and competitive. They led by two touchdowns right out of the gate. They really had a questionable pass interference call towards the end of the game. They had uh, Utah State on third and long. Get called for pass interference. They would have gotten the ball back down four late with the chance to take the lead. Um, obviously, none of that happens. Utah State goes on to score the touchdown that puts the game away. But just really hats off to the Huskies for going into Logan, putting up a really good fight. I don't know how many games they're going to win this year, but they provided us some entertainment in a lull in the afternoon uh, yesterday. So hats off to them. And they did, you know, bad news for UConn. They did lose their starting quarterback and their first string wide receiver. Torn ACL for the quarterback. I believe it's a broken collarbone for their wide receiver one. So Mm -hmm. immediately behind the eight ball. But you're right. I mean, you know, I I was at a high school football game covering that. And and you were texting me as I was driving back. Yeah, UConn kind of made things spicy. So hats off to the Huskies. Garrett, what, what what did you like from that afternoon slate of games? I mean, besides just getting everything started with Western Kentucky and Austin P and getting to actually watch something right off the bat, I really liked UNC coming out real strong. Yes, I know there was a lot of drama over, you know, Florida A&M and actually being able to bring people um, to actually play this game. But, you know, there was I, I thought it was cool to see after a disappointing year for UNC where they had massive hopes and a lot of guys coming back. It was nice to see him kind of all right, tear down, let's reload, let's figure out who we are again. And to come out with that much offensive firepower, that's not easy to do no matter who you're playing any week. So, you know, putting up 56, I love that. You know, Drake May throwing for five touchdowns, love that as well. Um, So, yeah, just really excited to see where they go this year. And and hopefully they can keep this production up to make the ACC a little more interesting. I will say Jeremy Musa and that FAMU offense, they had the Tar Heels on the ropes early. They run an up-tempo, you know, spread you out, throw the ball all over the lot kind of offense. And even down 20 scholarship players, which included only seven healthy eligible offensive linemen, they kept that tempo up. And early on, they were really pressing the Tar Heels, which to the point of where Brad Powers tweeted that UNC, I believe he tweeted something like UNC had an embarrassing performance defensively, and now he's picking App State outright uh, in, in week one. I, I don't know that I would go that far in a week zero That's a game where old choice. Yeah, everybody's you know, let's let's get these kids warmed up. Like it is not again, you cannot project an entire season from what you just saw in a week zero contest. It's it's just not fair to me. Um, you know, but I agree. I think UNC, a lot of positives can, that they can take. That offense looked so much healthier and, and more fluid than they did last season, which was a big question mark because with Drake May coming in as quarterback, they've had Sam Howell since Mac Brown got there. Brown flipped Howell away from Florida State. That was kind of his big first, hey, welcome to Chapel Hill again moment when he got there. Uh, and, and so this is truly uncharted territory for UNC without Sam Howell. So uh, good for good for the Tar Heels. Uh, last two games, Florida State 47, Duquesne 7. Big stat here, actually twofold. First season opening win for the Knolls since 2016. I couldn't believe it had been that long for them. And they also had three running backs rush for over 100 yards in the same game for the first time. That was school history that happened there. Uh, and then, uh, Trey, I think this was you. Nevada 23, New Mexico State 12. You wrote, quote, this game was just silly. Care to explain? It was silly. I, I don't know if anyone else tuned in for any of this one, but uh, we had a lightning delay. The first points in the game were a safety where it was a fumble out the back of the end zone that the quarterback just fell on instead of trying to pick up and throw away. And then Nevada just kind of pulled away in the second half. So 
it was just silly. They were they were showing kids wrestling in the stands. It, it was just that a was weird crazy. situation in Las Cruces. Yeah. Well, hey, look, listen. Late nights in Las Cruces. I, I don't think that was uh, was unexpected or unwelcome. Things things just get weird out there in the desert. Uh, Nevada's rushing attack. They've got two kind of bell cows. <clears throat> excuse me. Basically, carbon copies of each other. You know, six foot, two hundred fifteen pound style running backs that are, are just gonna try and beat you into submission. And I think that's what we saw Nevada will use as the template for uh, going throughout the rest of the season. But gentlemen, week zero, it's in the books. It's done and dusted. We've recapped it. Final segment before we get out of here today. And Trey, this was your idea. You wanted to start implementing here at the ends of our recaps. Favorite stat of the week, whether it's an impressive stat, a weird stat, something that just kind of makes you raise an eyebrow. And uh, with it being your idea, I'll let you lead this off. Yeah, so my stat of the week for week zero, we're going to just kind of bury Nebraska one more time here, maybe two more times with Garrett's stat. But my stat of the week, Nebraska is one and nine in their previous 10 games, dating back to the Oklahoma game last year. Their point differential, when you add all those up, is just minus two. So that just gives you a glimpse into how agonizingly close these losses are for Nebraska was just over and over and over and over and over again that that one win ironically that offset that was a 56 to 7 win over Northwestern last year yeah they've now lost to every calendar opponent in the Big Ten within a year's time which is Mm. just brutal um yeah it, it highlights Trey you said this off the top Nebraska continues to find ways to lose football games it's close all the way throughout. It looks like they have a great chance at winning. And then it's just throw a dart at the roulette wheel of I lost this week because, and it's a different, it's, it's a different answer every single time. Yeah. So my favorite stat of the week, I'm looking at Scott Frost. He's now five and 21 in one score games. That was his 21st loss in a one score game. If you were to just flip those to wins just for, you know, grins and giggles, his potential record at Nebraska could be 36 and nine. Now, obviously you're not going to win all those games, but wow, things could be different. Uh, that's it, what was, was it the onion that tweeted out an article, something about hopeless man who didn't think he had any more hope. To yeah. Lose his hope. Loses that more hope. Loses yeah. additional hope. And I think, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed this watching the game yesterday, they kept showing Nebraska fans in the crowd and they were just blissfully, I don't know if unaware is the right word of what was unfolding on the field. Maybe it was all the free alcohol that was being given out in Dublin, but, or maybe it was just, it could have been, I've seen this movie before. I don't need to negatively react. This is just my life now. But every time (laughs) they showed Nebraska fans in the stands, it was kind of just, yeah, okay. We're, we're, blissfully just embracing the events that are unfolding. So maybe that's the way that you get through this season. If you're a fan of the Cornhuskers, I'd hope it was the alcohol, not just general apathy. Cause if it is apathy, Oh my goodness, Nebraska needs to fire frost yesterday. Uh, but yeah, apparently the stadium ran out. Uh, well, first of all, they had an interruption with their wireless payment system. So suddenly all alcohol sales became free Yep. Then they've eventually. I love that that was the solution. They're just, ah, we'll just. That's the Irish honor system. If you can't sell it, you'll give it away. That's right. It's the Irish honor system. Eventually, they ran out of beer that was on tap. So, reportedly, they then went to free liquor, uh, where one reporter tweeted that he saw a gentleman walk by with two pints of gin and tonic. So, yeah, it was uh, for, for Northwestern fans, it was a party. For, uh, for Nebraska fans, it was an absolute funeral. And uh, maybe some of those those memories are, are drowned with their favorite adult beverage. My my stat of the week, I already talked about it, but just I'm so happy for Vandy fans. First time scoring 60 plus in a win over an FBS team since before we stormed Omaha Beach. So anchor down Nashville. Enjoy it. I you know, we're excited to see what steps take or are taken by this football team. Again, success will not be defined by the wins and losses that let's not get ahead of ourselves, but I am interested to see where this program is, you know, at the end of this season, given the fact that, Hey, we climbed a very big hurdle. 
just coming back in a game against an FCS opponent and then blowing the doors off of them. So, uh, gentlemen, great job as always. Week zero officially in the rear view. Now we get to focus on major college football. The the amuse-bouche, the, the tasting platter uh, has, has been fully enjoyed. But, guys, week one right around the corner. And it gets started early this week. Thursday, we have a couple of games. We'll have our preview up for you Thursday morning. As a reminder, if you are already following us on social media, thanks so much for that. If you are not, head on over to at3techpod on Instagram and Twitter. Drop us a follow because I'll be tweeting out week one of the spread option, our weekly pick em. We'll have 10 games for you to pick against the spread. And a reminder, we do have a couple of games in this pick em that start on Thursday. So get your picks in early, get your picks in often And uh, we will talk to you guys on Thursday morning. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Until next time, so long, everybody. (laughs) 